You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecuted church too author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have with us uh, Isaac Adams, the lead pastor of Iron City Church in uh, Alabama, author of uh, Talking About Race, and the founder of United. We pray. Uh, Isaac, please introduce yourself to us and tell us a little about your family. I love talking about family because we are real people. Uh, we have real uh, um, problems as a uh, human, and we have real families that we love. And it's important, I think, for the audience to hear um, about you personally before they hear what you do. I really appreciate that, Alphonse. Thank you for uh, having me on having me on the show. Um, yeah, uh, name is Isaac Adams. Uh, I'm married. Uh, my, just for the purposes of our conversation, my wife uh is white so i always say our kids look like little balls of peanut butter on wheels uh and they're precious to me and i love them dearly uh so yeah we have three kiddos right now uh, the lord has been kind to us um and then maybe for the purposes because you're talking about family and the purposes of our discussion i'm not from birmingham i'm from washington dc originally uh that that was home and so many senses is home in my heart um and my mom is a very godly and meek woman. Um, and I remember I told her I found a church and she was thrilled. And I said, it's in Birmingham. And she recoiled in horror. And she said, uh, she said, oh, Isaac, I told the Lord when I was a little girl, I would never step foot in that city after what they did to those four little girls there. And um, she was referring, of course, to the Birmingham bombing at 16th Street Baptist Church. And, you know, my mom was old enough to be one of those girls. So, um, you know, it's just been, you know, this issue that we're talking about, it's been in my family since before I was around, obviously my mom being a black woman. And so um, that's a little bit about family uh, and we're just getting settled in Birmingham, just moved here a few months ago. Well, it's interesting uh, because part of my um, conversation or part of this uh, um, discussion is uh, of course your book, and um, I think uh, in this uh, honest and helpful book, uh, you show how to have race conversation um, mm. and you begin it, you, you start it for us. And I, I, love, I, I love the idea that uh, um, even in this introduction, um, you know, you, you did not shy away from your relationships, uh, even though our conversation is going to be about um, race and ethnicity, uh, but at the same time, we are relational beings. And it's interesting uh, to me that later on, I'm going to ask you that because uh, you pinned to your Twitter feed um, is a tweet about how you have become friends with a former former uh, bomb-making white supremacist. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I want to hear about that story too, but it's too early in this discussion, but I want to just set the stage because you just brought a couple of things 
Um, and I thought it's nice to talk about because we are talking about those, uh, um, the incident and those uh, um, young kids and uh, your mom being that young person then. So it's a real thing to you. It's not just a theoretical um, concept. It's not some sort of uh, um, um, fictional story. It's very real thing. And now as a pastor, uh, you are living in that community, right? So tell me, uh, tell me some more about your work. Give us an overview of uh, talking about race and united we pray. Uh, the 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 book itself and the organization. Autumn. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, in terms of united we pray, uh, we began united we pray uh, a few years ago. Um, by God's grace. And the ministry is devoted to praying about racial strife, especially between Christians. Uh, and the reason I began it, um, you know, Alphonse, if we, if we look back, let's just call it the last 10 years, we have Trayvon, the, you know, the shooting of Trayvon Martin, 2012, Michael Brown is in 2014, and then George Floyd in 2020. And, um, you know, with different, different, obviously, uh, things have happened differently in each of these events, but in this same kind of genre against uh, um, what some folks, what would popularly be called uh, racial injustice. And so, you know, you have a lot of different shootings and things happening in the intervening years, but I really think those three are the kind of main epicenters that sent shockwaves and tremors really in the evangelical church uh, and the evangelical community. And so, it was after Michael Brown, I read a sermon. Oh, well, I was on Twitter, like you referenced. And I was just seeing everyone's pontifications and frankly, growing really tired of them and really growing tired of my own pontifications. Uh, so I joked that I, you know, I did a radical thing. I put down my phone and I read a book. And the book was a collection of ser- sermons uh, by a brother named Francis Grimke, late 19th century preacher in Washington, D.C., African-American And he had one sermon called God and prayer as factors in the struggle. And I'll never forget it. I mean, it's one of my favorite sermons, easily probably the most influential in my life. And he was just talking about the power of prayer. And what struck me was that, you know, wherever you fall on this conversation, if you're a Christian, you agree we should pray. And so I wanted to plant a flag in the ground to say, hey, let's be praying about these issues. Um, because ultimately the more I study them, the more I see what a mountain they are before us. I mean, we're not standing at the foothills of injustice or the foothills of strife. We're, we're at the bottom of Everest and Jesus was very clear what to do with mountains. Ask me and you can put this mountain into the sea. And so that's what I was trying to do through United We Pray. And we write articles to help engender Uh, more prayer and more thoughtful discussion about race Uh, that's biblical uh, and helpful, clear, and hopeful. We want to be those four things. Uh, So you can check out our work at uwepray.com. That's letter U, W-E-P-R-A-Y.com. So that's that's United We Pray. And then basically, uh, I've been noodling on a book on race over the years, and um, talking about race was birthed uh, because I had set out to write a book just answering the question I'm always asked, which is what can I do about racial injustice? Which in so many ways is a great question. Um, But then 
uh, soon after Ahmaud Arbery, so to bring up yet another shooting, and now I can say murder, um, was after Ahmaud was murdered, uh, an actor went live on Facebook to talk about how he, as a black man, felt he had to wear masks, a mask in predominantly white spaces. And it occurred to me as a pastor, you know, there's a lot of people in this conversation who feel like they have to wear a mask. They feel like they have to hide. And of course, I don't mean just a metaphor. Uh, you know, this was when this was pre-COVID. Uh, this was all happening. Um, and so I sought to answer before I it, it occurred to me, before we could answer the question, what can I do? Uh, we should answer the question, why am I hiding? Why what before we before we talk about action, we should see why we can't talk at all. And that actually might give us clarity on the very issues we so desperately want to address. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And really, the book is a really a kind of modern parable. Uh, I kind of tell this story of a shooting unarmed black man, and I give five different perspectives on it. Like the and I hope I represent you know bit popular um, perspectives uh, in churches like ours, all funds uh, that are very difficult to reconcile and see how okay how it is we can talk about these issues. So the main question I'm answering in the book is why is it so hard to talk about race for Christians in America? And you say, uh, I mean, this is your statement, together we can learn to speak in such a way that we show a divided world, a different world. And I assume that comes from you being a pastor. And this is... uh, um, so help me to understand, is it is it you saying as a um, black person or you saying it as a pastor? Yeah, the answer to that question is yes, right? Uh, it's both um, because I am a black person, but primarily in the book, yes, I'm speaking as a pastor. So I often say the race conversation has many prophets. Some are better than others. Uh, and pastors are to speak prophetically. But so while the race conversation has many prophets, it has few pastors. And what I've tried to do with this book is offer a pastoral perspective on this conversation. Uh, So it's very practical in that sense, uh, and I hope accessible. Um, But I also hope inviting, though challenging, uh, as pastors should be. So, you know, 2 Timothy 2.24 couldn't be clear. uh, The Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. And um, that's what I try to be in the book, even with people who disagree with me. Yeah. And I, I like, you know, uh, again, I'm, uh, these are some of your statements. Uh, um, looking to God's word, Christian can find wisdom to speak gracefully and truthfully about racism for the glory of God, for the glory of God. Uh, emphasize, I'm just emphasizing that. And then you say the good of their neighbors and the building up of the church. So three components are there, right? So what first one is truthfully about racism for the glory of God. And then second, the good of their neighbors. And third, the building up uh, of the um, church. Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse 16 is all about to gather uh, building up uh, when when everything uh, comes together and they're working together, all the components, all the parts of the body, they build up the the body itself. It says itself. So, how do you see um, 
There is, a, I mean, I think more content has been published uh, um, in the last uh, two, three years than uh, I think ever before, whether that content is published in, in, a, in a book form or uh, audio, video. So uh, how, what outcome do you think we are seeing other than that? Do we see a real change happening as a result of all of this that took place in the last two two or three years. Do you see that? Yeah, that's a good question, brother. I mean, the answer, the answer on some level, and I talk about this in the book, is I don't want to take what's happening nationally mm. and project it onto my community. So I think we want to be quick to recognize the good that God has done and is doing in our churches, in our communities. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, um, you know, me and my wife, we're not getting married. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about our, our family, my family at the beginning. And here we are in segregated Birmingham in a suburb that was created by white flight and our neighbors couldn't be more welcoming to us. Wow. And so I see God's grace all over that. And yet, mm-hmm. does that make me think that the residual effects in this same city that have kept this city very segregated, despite my own personal experience, are no longer in, in at play. Well, no, there's great work that needs to still be done. And here I am talking about Birmingham because that's where I live. And so, yeah, I think a lot of progress has been made and there's still much more to be done. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, and I like, um, Isaac, I like your approach, brother. It's really, um, really godly thing to do as a pastor Uh, Not to dismiss the national issue altogether, but at the same time, uh, caring for your community, your context, because you are a unique expression of God's love as a local body of believers. Um, But because we live in a country, we live in a a national and uh, um, geopolitical um, uh, context. So we're going to have that effect and we have to somehow... Uh, not be reactive, rather proactive. Thus, the idea of having these conversations that we are having right now, you and I. Uh, and I think that's the godly thing to do. Um, but, so what has been, what, what has the response been to your book? Yeah, I, was, I, I think we were talking beforehand. Um, it's been really encouraging. I mean, I've certainly, I've been criticized by folks who stayed on my left and I've uh, certainly been criticized by folks who stand to my right. Mm. And, but that's not been the predominant note. The predominant note has been one of deep gratitude. And I'm really encouraged by that. Uh, I'm really encouraged that pastors and local churches seem to be helped by the book because in writing the book, it was, it was easily one of the greatest seasons of spiritual warfare I've ever had. And I think I didn't realize, but I was probably asking the question the whole time, is this worth it? Mm. And given the response to the book, the answer is so clearly yes. Um, and I just see people all over reading it and being helped and challenged. Uh, so I'm just, yeah, I'm delighted by what the Lord has done and mm. pray he keeps doing it. Uh, so it's been, it's been a pot. It's been, I think I was a lot more fearful of the book's reception. Uh, and I'm thankful the Lord had me going with a very small ounce of faith that I had left. Amen. Man, that those comments when uh, you know somebody writes something or gives you feedback and tells you how 
your book has helped. It's such encouraging. That's like um, um, validation and affirmation. Yeah. Uh, the you know the spirit led you to that point and helped you to s- succeed. I remember, yeah. um, um, uh, as I said, that I have uh, um, um, more than one doctorate. So my first one was uh, I loved education, by the way, and studying. So the when I was doing my first doctorate, uh, I remember uh, my chair uh, of my 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 dissertation chair. She told me she said uh, not me but the whole class. She said uh, many of you will start this but never get to finish because life happens. And you uh, Satan and I say Liberty University was my that's what I teach now, but also I was student there too. And she, it was a Christian perspective. So she said, devil's going to do everything to distract you. He's going to bring legitimate reasons to, to make sure you don't finish. And she gave, I forgot exact amount. Uh, there was, she gave me some, gave us some percentage that how many people start, but never finish. Uh, so they remain all but dissertation that becomes their status. So I think the same thing goes with books. Many people start writing books, never get to finish. So I, I'm going to just congratulate you, brother, that uh, you just talked about warfare. Uh, it's a real thing. And yeah. um, let, let me ask you, as we continue talking about your book, um, let me also get some commentary on your own book. In the last two, three years, we have seen more uh, publications and more uh, conversations around this idea of uh, uh, justice and especially racial in addressing the racial uh, uh, injustice in our country and not even not in our country it was a global issue because i saw you, you probably you saw the same thing all over the world people were uh, um, protesting and so my question is do you think uh, um, the church by and large is doing well in that area now um, or do you think that uh, uh, deep down the church still is not evangelical church in the United States is not, not, it might be saying the right thing, but not doing the right thing. Yeah. That's it's such a hard question to answer. Cause I'm not, you know, and, and I don't even mean this tongue in cheek. I'm just not omnipresent. I'm not mm. God. I don't, I don't know all that's, And, you know, one of my mentors recently said, uh, most of God's work is under the radar. And right. so, you know, I've only heard, so for instance, I've only heard from a handful of folks who've read my book. I'd, I'd like to believe those aren't the only people who've been helped by it or mm-hmm. have been challenged by it or whatever it may be. And so here's what I would say. I think we are at a critical moment. I think it's easy to look at the work and think we're done. Or I think at least a lot of uh, evangelicals think that. And I do think that's a fundamental misstep because so long as we have life and breath, we have a God to glorify and we have commands to follow commands like do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. So while, um, you know, racial strife may not be as explicitly terrible or as, as explicitly obvious as it was in say, you know, Jim Crow, um, that doesn't mean the effects are gone. That doesn't mean uh, there isn't more to do. So when asked the question of, it's less about like, hey, are we doing a good job or not? Though I, you know, I would say, uh, on the whole, there is still so much more to be learned and to be accomplished. Uh, but more about, okay, what are we going to do to be faithful? How then shall we live in this present moment 
and here maybe a analogy will help. I think it's easy to look at the Jim Crow era of, uh, you know, I'm just calling that, I'm just picking one area of, um, of racism uh, as a kind of lit match. And you look at those laws and everything. And what's happened is I think that, I think that match has been blown out, right? The problem is the house is still on fire. Right. So we've gotten the match. So, you know, those balls are off the books. Praise God. You know, there's been amendments made. Praise God. But the house is still on fire. We've just been so used to seeing it on fire or that, you know, we just have moved into different neighborhoods. So we're like, oh, yeah, of course, the houses are burning down over there across the railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. And so the question is now not what, okay, Ours is not the work of tearing down, you know, whites only signs, Mm -hmm. but living in a community that had those signs posted for so long, Mm. do you see? And Mm -hmm. so, um, and I fear that a lot of people just think, oh, the signs are down, we're fine. And ours is the task to figure out what then do we do it's not like we can just like, you know, the water has been spilled. It's not like we can pick it up and put it back in the bottle. What do we do? And that's why it's so difficult uh, to think through. That's cool, man. That's really good analogy. I like that. That's really, I mean, you can use that for many different things, actually. I mean, yeah. As I'm thinking through this, back to our conversation about race, like you, my wife is also white, um, but I'm Pakistani. So I have uh, some other a type of persecution element part of all of this, right? So one of the thing is she started talking or telling other people was that you cannot remain silent, right? You have to, you have to speak up, say something, right? Say something, even if it's something small. If nothing else, uh, we had this uh, crew started this. Uh, I was a missions pastor, so crew started this uh, campaign uh, where the idea was. Uh, um, um, you, you, uh, we hear you, um, we are with you, that kind of thing. So acknowledgement and not just saying that, oh, because uh, I'm, uh, if I don't, because not saying something is, is saying something, right? Not saying something is saying something. That means you're giving power to those who are loud. Um, so that's one side, a healthy side, people are having conversations. So help me to understand how to have this conversation where you acknowledge uh, racial differences too, uh, without um, without saying that there's more than one race in you know biblical sense. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, it's funny when people would ask me like, you know, how do I have this conversation and. <laughs> On for one, there's not one right answer. So I would often say, but my short answer would all, always be, you know, how do we have this conversation? Well, carefully uh, is, is, is the answer. Um, and, you know, Twitter doesn't care about care and speed doesn't care about care. And so um, we want to be careful. We want to be, so I, you know, there's a chapter where I literally answer, how do we talk about this? Uh, and the first is what you just said biblically. So before any, you know, New York Times bestseller or, um, you know, favorite book, whether it be talking about race, 
we want to think with our Bibles open because too often we think with our political base and not our Bibles. Uh, and uh, race just becomes another football, political football we're kicking around. So we want to be, we want to be biblical. We want to be impartial. We want to be honest. We want to be careful. We want to be truthful. We want to be just. That means we can't just call out the other side. We have to call out our own side. Primarily, should probably focus on our own side. Uh, we want to be hopeful and speak as if Jesus really speak about these issues in light of the fact that Jesus really did get up from the dead because he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to be realistic. I think sometimes folks head into this conversation thinking they're going to change an issue that the nation has wrestled with for 400 years uh overnight and that's just not again that goes to do you understand the mountain that you are uh standing at the foot of when it comes to this issue and lastly you know and i'm not just saying this because of united we pray we want to speak about it prayerfully uh we want to you know i think a lot conversations would be a lot easier with someone else if we had prayed beforehand and afterhand uh about those conversations so um, those are the kind of like, I kind of go through these kind of adverbs of like, how should we speak about this? And ultimately, the answer is Christianly, if I can make up mm-hmm. uh, an adverb. Uh, we, well, we as Christians should speak like Christians. And there's so much the Bible says about our speech. So really this book, Alphonse, in so many ways, is a theology of speech applied to race. Mm. Um, that's what pastorally I'm trying to inculcate and, um, Mm. yeah, accomplish in the book. That's cool, man. So that, those are some of the practical steps pastors can take to start the conversation. Would you say that like start praying? Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. And uh, put, uh, uh, open the Bible, start searching prayerfully. And then what? Yeah, so there's there's a, a few things that kind of chart out a course of action about what pastors can do. One is to uh, one is to study the issue for yourself, and I'm not saying you have to become an expert uh, in race, racial, you know, in race theory or anything like that. But understanding what the Bible says about ethnicity would be huge. So understanding the issues so that includes reading. So I include a lot of book suggestions in the in the back of the book. Um, beyond that, um, is not overestimating what we're up, underestimating what we're up against. Uh, next is to keep preaching the gospel faithfully because it's easy to get distracted and only focus on this issue. There's a lot uh, we need to say about a lot of things, but Jesus Christ is whom we want held high ultimately. Um, another is to make space in your congregation for issues that aren't of gospel importance, meaning two Christians can really love Jesus and disagree about the extent of systemic racism today uh, and still love Jesus. And it's easy to just fall to one side and say, this is how I as your pastor think, so this is therefore how you must think. When there's not a straight line from the Bible uh, to every issue we might raise in this very complicated realm. Another thing is to keep being willing to ruffle feathers. So, uh, (laughs) you know, sinners like hearing things that don't challenge them. Uh, And we have to be willing to, uh, I think it's easy as a pastor to say, well, I want unity, which really just means you want no confrontation. You don't want any problems. And I think it's easy to idolize unity, but I also think it's easy to idolize diversity. 
And, you know, you have pastors who are like, oh, my church isn't diverse enough. It's not diverse enough. Well, what if the, what if diversity wasn't the main thing? It's like, well, I want my church to look like heaven, Revelation 7, and all that. And I'm like, that's great. Just remember, hell is diverse too. And so we want to keep our. All right, hold on, hold on. That's really neat, right? (laughs) What you just said. Yes. Remember, hell is also diverse because we have such a high view of diversity, which is good. I love it. And uh, those who do not have, they tend to try to fabricate for the sake of society, right? But I love what you just said. I'm sorry for cutting you. There is also diversity in hell too. Wow. Yeah. All right. Man, that's that's something right there. Well, I, that I mean, in your book? So I've, I've heard different people say that, so I'm not sure who the first person was. I gave John Piper the credit in my book, which is generally a safe place to be. So, um, so yeah, man. So, so uh, and then the last thing I would say is have your people share their stories. Um, it's just you be, you know, you can get up and you can read you know, letter from a Birmingham jail, which is incredibly powerful or Frederick Douglass, or you could also just have the saint in your congregation who lived through Jim Crow stand up and talk about what it was like and how she thinks we could pray. And you'd be amazed at the power of a story from people we know and love. Um, so that's kind of, those are kind of some, and then, you know, there's, there's other things that I talk about building relationships with other pastors. How do you think through staffing, all of that stuff. Um, I don't go too deep into that, but I, I at least touch upon it. So, so in your view, we should have conversations about race. Yes. This, okay. Good. So, unless, uh, unless though, I say there's a time to not. There's a time. That's why you need wisdom. Is because you know there's a time to start. There's a time to start a conversation, and generally, that's what I'm arguing for. There's also a time to stop one. You okay. know, answer not a fool according to his folly. Yeah, that's a good advice, my man. That's directly from the scriptures. Good. All right. So now tell me about that story. The story in the beginning of this uh, show, yeah, yeah, I yeah. ask you and specifically, why would you pin that? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I'm sure my publisher is asking the same thing. Um, well, one, just with the book, I'm like I, I talk about it so much. I'm like, you know, and the book's going to come, it's going to go and it'll get to the people who, you know, somehow it made its way to you. So there, you know, um, but I think because what that, so I, I can't even remember what the tweet says. It's something like, you know, today I had lunch with a former bomb making white supremacist who was a, was a part of the KKK. He was converted in prison years ago and now advocates for racial justice. And I said, there's a lot to be done individually and systemically to our conversation earlier, right? Uh, as a side, Alphonse, like that, that touches upon so much of what we said. There's a lot to be done, but God is doing a lot. So keep on. And what I was trying to basically convey there was kind of to your question about like, hey, are we doing a good job or a bad job? Well, look at what God did. did it. What I was trying to convey is that no one is beyond hope mm. in regard to this conversation. And, you know, we believe, you know, Paul was effectively a terrorist and he got saved Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then became the biggest lion for the gospel, arguably ever. Right. Like, so, um, and so I, I, I want that kind of hope at the top of my page and let you know, Hey, when you come here, 
this kind of colors everything I'm about. And I'm not, you know, it's God's power. It's, and again, like, you know, you, what you're showing is like what I'm trying to do in the book is why I tell so many stories because stories are powerful. And yeah. when we understand God really does save the worst of sinners, it gives us hope that this man can be saved. Amen. Amen. If this man can be turned around. Yeah. What else might God be up to yeah. uh, in the world? Yeah. Uh, that might be deeply fallen and racist, but it's his world still. I like to continue this conversation, but because of the time, let me pull back and ask you one thing. I do this with other uh, guests too. Please tell me a joke. We had a really strong, heavy discussion. So now let's finish with a joke. <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, man. I do this with my kids at dinner. I'm like trying to think of a joke. Um, <laughs> I'll just use one my wife said the other day because it was, it was funny. Um, it's more of a pun, but uh, a sweet church member brought us dinner. She brought over soup. And on our way out, my wife said, you know what? That dinner was super good. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> my, uh, my, my wife likes those ones. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a good corny yeah, mom right. and dad joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think moms are more into puns. Dads are more into like direct dumb jokes that nobody likes, but yeah. and kids love it. Exactly. Um, Isaac, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you. And may the Lord continue to bless you, use you for his kingdom as you continue to serve in your church and in the greater context uh, as you continue to lead people into um, this, this talk about race and uh, being united and uh, praying. I love that, man. Thank you so much. Um, hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you to all our listeners. If you are... Uh, if you appreciate this podcast, please be sure to leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, tune in next week for more honest discussions from diverse voices. Thank you. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.